Welcome to the Beeson Podcast coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University. Now your hosts, Doug Sweeney and Kristen Padilla. Welcome to the Beeson Podcast. I am Doug Sweeney here with my co-host Kristen Padilla. And this week, we're continuing our three-part series featuring Beeson faculty colleagues whose friendships with each other have enriched their teaching, writing, and service to the church. We're asking these pairs to tell us about their friendships and the ways in which their friendships enrich their lives, personally and professionally. The faculty pair we're with today have been friends for about 15 years we're looking forward to gaining an inside look into their friendship and the difference it's made in their lives. So, Kristen, who are these faculty friends? Welcome, everyone, to the podcast. We have on the show today Dr. Carl Beckwith. He is professor of history and doctrine at Beeson. And we have his friend, Dr. Mark Danalette, on the show, who is professor of Old Testament and Hebrew at Beeson. And I'm just personally been looking forward to this conversation. I uh, started Beeson as a student when Dr. Janellette joined the faculty the same semester. And then I remember when Dr. Beckwith joined the faculty. And it's just been fun to watch their friendship over the years as an outsider. And pre-COVID, for those of you listening, you could often find Dr. Beckwith and Dr. Janellette walking around campus, often after lunch in each other's company. And sometimes, if the weather was nice, throwing the baseball on the quad. So um, we are so glad to have you on the show to talk about your friendship. Welcome, Dr. Beckwith and Dr. Janellette. Hello. Thank you. Um, we want to begin with just a simple question. Um, how did you two become friends? And what has kept you friends for all these years? We'll find out what keeps us friends after this. Uh, yeah. I, I was going to say, I'm, I, I'm, I'm very surprised to find out that we're friends. I think this is a real discovery. It's been 15 years. I was talking with the students ab about this podcast just in the class beforehand. I think this is really going to define the relationship for the two of us in ways that, that we haven't had done before. So I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity. I was a little confused about where we were, but I think things are becoming clearer now. So I'm, I'm thankful for this. It's taken 15 years, but uh, you can see that uh, Dr. Ginolette's finally warming up to me. You know, I wonder, I wonder if, Mark, do you remember the first conversation that we had and when we we did first meet. Oh, it was when I interviewed. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was breakfast, and I I'd never met Dr. Ginolette, and I go down for my interview for breakfast. Dr. Thielman happened to be there, and I thought, well, this is kind of nice. He brought his son along with him. Dr. Ginolette was quite young when he joined the faculty. I had more hair back then. And we sit down for. <laughs> We uh, we sit down for breakfast and, you know, anytime you go on a job interview, you're you're expecting questions that might warm you up a little bit to the school and to kind of get comfortable with one another. And almost out of the gate, here's this young Presbyterian Old Testament professor at the time, and he turns to me as a Lutheran, and this may make sense to no one. And he says, uh, Carl, what do you think about the genus myostaticum? Now, that's a very obscure thing for most people. But what, what Mark was asking me was getting right to the heart of controversy between the Reformed and Lutherans on a very subtle Christological question in the Reformation. And this is my first question from Dr. Ginolette. And I'm thinking, well, it's, it's great that we warmed up and got to know one another. Yeah. 
Yeah. Let's talk about yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> and now the difference in our friendship is 15 years later, I could admit to Carl, I have no idea what that even is. So that's where, that's how things have developed over time. <laughs> I, re- I remember, Carl, I was, I was on your, I was on the faculty, uh, I think I was on the search committee for your position. And I, I mean, as, as some of the, Listeners may know I have a deep interest in theological interpretation and the way in which that relates to the history of the tradition. And I remember asking Carl questions about this in our interview, and he just seemed to not really want to go after it. And I remember hanging up being so disappointed because I thought we're going to get a patristic scholar. He's going to have a deep interest in the exegesis of the fathers and the way in which they engaged engaged the scriptures for the sake of of constructive um, um, systematic theology. And Carl would just not bite on it. And I think part of that was because, if I remember correctly, Carl, you were, you were debating, kind of thinking through what kind of evangelical institution is this? Is, are, are they going to be open to these kind of ideas? So you were being careful. Um, and I've sensed that that's part of the, the content, I think, of these walks around, around the quad is I, I just learned so much from what Carl brings to the table with his deep understanding of the tradition, especially the fathers and the way in which they read the Bible. Yes, I remember that uh, question. <laughs> <laughs> you played coy, I remember. You want to defend yourself, Carl, before we move on? Or Well, I mean, it is a hard question, as Mark says. I mean, when someone starts asking you about figure Alexa Jesus at an evangelical divinity school, you're really not sure what's behind a question like that. That's right, that's right. <laughs> beyond debating the finer points of Christology, beyond throwing the baseball uh, on the quad. What have you done together? Tell us just a little bit about your friendship over the years, the professional aspect of it. Uh, what kinds of conversations have you had over the years? What kinds of things have you done together that have been helpful to you? I, I think part of the challenge that we all face at a divinity school like Beeson is, you know, so much of our social life and social context takes place in the sphere of our local church and parish, um, as, as I think it should be. And um, that, you know, that I think being pulled in multiple directions for the sake of building, you know, theological community is, is a challenge. And I think that's what I've been probably most grateful for with Carl. We talk theology. We talk the life of the church. We, we have children that are similar age. We talk about these things. I probably wouldn't make a big life decision without seeking, you know, Carl's wisdom on some of these things. I just think he brings... He brings a level of depth and an understanding to to sort of decision making in life that's always very helpful. So I think those are good. We also share a, an appreciation for baseball. Carl's had this for a long time. I mean, I think you know his his passion for the Detroit Tigers. I'll let him talk about that. Is palpable. I can tell. I can tell Carl's. Well, I should say this. I can tell by Carl's mood whether or not the Tigers won or lost the night before. I can. I can say that. And my dis- my discovery of baseball again has kind of been with my with my children, so that's where it's come. So that's that's been a fun thing. I think we've even snuck to a few baseball games here in town uh, together. Um, but mo- but most of our conversation and friendship centers around our work and our calling. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, you know you mentioned our our walks around the the quad and uh, trying to encourage uh, Mark to take an extra lap here or there. Uh, it's good for him. <laughs> but, <laughs> That's a low blow. That when, is a low blow. Uh, when I think about our friendship, it really is the simple things, right? It's Mark's office uh, is just down the hall from mine. And maybe it's after class, a few minutes after class, maybe before Mark goes off to class or at lunchtime or a walk around the quad or uh, a text or an email or something like that. And in terms of the topics we talk about, 
I mean, I think what defines friendship is that any topic is what you talk about. It is. We do talk a lot about theology and scriptural interpretation. And I think we complement one another in those conversations. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm rather exuberant, maybe, in, in some of my views on the Old Testament. And I think Mark really uh, can help me think more critically about some of my, uh, my, uh, my proclivities when it comes to scriptural interpretation and so forth. But it's not just that. Right. It's uh, it's life as a young professor. We both joined the faculty uh, at an early stage of our academic career. We've gone through tenure and promotion together. We've been on a lot of committees, a lot of sort of the administrative curricular stuff that you do, thinking what it means to be a young scholar that moves into, uh, you know, sort of the, the middle stage of your career, thinking long term, like kind of where do we want to go together? And those have been incredibly valuable conversations that I've had with Mark. But as he says, right, we have children and we have families and negotiating young families, the academy, life in the church, all of that. Uh, those are issues as well that we, uh, we discuss. And, and of course, we do have a love of sports, of baseball in particular. Uh, Mark is Mark will be uh, probably a little too humble in this conversation, but Mark isn't just a fan of baseball. Mark is an accomplished coach of baseball, uh, a real student of the game. And if and here's a secret, right? Maybe the students might listen to this at some point. If Mark is late to class and he's not in his office, just go down to the Sanford baseball field. Mark is probably down there scouting the Sanford baseball team. Yeah. That is true. Oh, uh, yeah. That, that, and I, I wonder because I think the coach here, Coach Dunn at Sanford, wonders who this <laughs> middle aged professor is that sits in the city. I'll grade papers out there at the, at the uh, ball field here and just watch the, the young men take infield. To me, there's something aesthetic. I, Carl, did you ever read the piece by David Bentley Hart in yeah. First Things, arguing kind of platon a, a platonic argument for the priority of baseball? Yeah. That, that's a, I think there's something to that. Anyway, yeah. You both mentioned your theological discussions. Can you share any specific ways in which what you have learned from one another out of these conversations um, and have brought that into your teaching, into your preaching, into just the way that you're doing your own scholarship? Well, I think just in the things that I do in the classroom and in my writing, uh, I lean heavily on, uh, on Mark and his, his understanding of the Old Testament, of Scripture in general. And Mark will tell you that I will just randomly send him texts or emails and asking him to, to look at a Hebrew text for me. You know, this is what the fathers are saying, or this is what the reformers are saying. Can we get the text to, to say something like that? And I, uh, I often uh, make reference to, uh, to Dr. Genelet in the classroom with students, especially, again, if we're thinking about the history of interpretation and the different ways in which we can see that throughout the history of the church and sort of Dr. Ginolet's take on, on something like that, uh, I find that incredibly uh, valuable. And really, it's a blessing uh, of a place like Beeson that our faculty, we really have a small faculty and we know each other well, and our curriculum complements what we're each doing. And, uh, and, and I'm, I'm really thankful for that. I, I tell the students all the time, um, that I, th I think, for example, my relationship with Carl and, and other professors as well is exhibit A of what's, what makes Beeson such an interesting place. You know, I, I did my own formal theological training at, at a reformational seminary. So I was trained in sort of classic continental and, and, and Scottish Presbyterian thought. That was very much what shaped my understanding of the church and formal Christian theology. 
And we were also given a set of critical tools of how to deal with the detractors like Lutherans, for example. <laughs> you know, so we were the we were taught. The truth is a stubborn and, thing. Exactly. So we were taught sort of the, the, uh, an approach to polemical theology in, in, in the face of various detractors. And this is what I love about being a beast. And I, I, don't, I can't talk about a Lutheran or someone who's, who share, who's in a different theological tradition as if they're an abstract entity. I've got one down the hall. So that's one of the ways in which I've really learned so much from Carl about the way in which the Lutherans think about the sacraments, the way in which Lutherans understand ecclesiology, their Christology, which informs so much of their, of their Eucharistic theology as well. So I've, I've become a student, I think, just by learning from Carl. Carl also, and I think this is so enviable, and I, and I mean this sincerely, I mean, Carl has this, this sort of classic, the best of a teacher's mind and presentation and the way in which he thinks clearly and presents things. And I, I tend to be like a fire hydrant. I don't like that always, but I tend to be like a fire hydrant. Carl's got this very methodical, clear way of engaging an issue, pressing through the fluff, the rhetorical fluff to get to the substance of what's really at play. And he's able to read text well and communicate text well on that on that level. I, I watch that all the time and learn from it. I, I absorb that, I think, in ways that Carl's not even conscious of. And I'm, you know, just by way of my own sort of academic and theological interest, I want to think about the ways in which the biblical text is related organically and fundamentally to, to its subject matter, namely God's being revealed in Christ by the Spirit. Carl teaches history and doctrine from the standpoint of the church's engagement with the Bible. I mean, that's what he's after. And I'm after the same thing because I want my engagement with the Bible to not be an end into itself, but to be the way in which we encounter, I'm stealing here from Catherine Sunderegger, but the way in which we encounter the fiery presence of the living God. Um, that's the way in which the church has engaged and loved its Bible and presented it to the church. And the tradition does that. So I see what I'm doing in the classroom what Carl is doing in the classroom, though we have different disciplines, they're so fundamentally related to one another that they can't be torn apart. And I think in ways that I'm conscious and unconscious of, um, I've just benefited from that relationship long term. Kristen just asked you about the significance of your friendship for your professional lives, your teaching, your scholarship, your thinking. Can we ask you about the significance of your friendship for your personal lives, uh, your personal spiritual lives? How has being friends with each other made you more faithful, made you more faithful followers of Jesus. You know, we talk all the time at Beeson about the importance of community for theological formation, ministerial preparation. And uh, I think that goes beyond the classroom uh, and it goes beyond the student body. Can you testify to that? Is there any way, Mark, in which your relationship with Carl has actually made you a better Christian? He now knows what not to do. Oh, Carl, have you made me a better Christian? I don't know if that's true or not. I'd have to think about this. Yeah, but not, not necessarily in a way sort of maybe overly affected. I mean, in other words, I don't, I don't think we're using sort of affectatious or overly sentimental language about what that looks like. I think these things are probably caught more than they are because it, our, our Christian identity, our following of Jesus is integral to who we are in every facet of our existence so these things aren't, they're, they're not torn apart. They're just integrated into who we are. So in other words, I, don't, I'm not, I don't know if we, we have a strategy for how this works, but I think we're definitely sort of shaping one another in ways that we're conscious and unconscious of. I will say, you know, on a personal level, there have been moments in my, you know, we've 15 years now, it's a long time, right? There have been moments that I would see as key moments of difficulty or struggle that have occurred in, the, in that frame 
and I would, you know, and I, I would just say Carl would be one of the first people that I would go to to talk with about that and pray about that. Um, but I think these things are just happen in a much more natural way than an overly sort of methodological way with how we, how that, how that happens. Yeah, I, I think that's right. One of the uh, things that I've really benefited from is when I came to Beeson, I was not ordained. I became ordained in the Lutheran Church after I arrived uh, at Beeson, and Mark had had tremendous experience in the church administratively and preaching and caring for others. Uh, and you know, I served a church in Birmingham as the sole pastor for a number of years, and. It doesn't matter what church you serve, you'll always have issues that arise. And Mark was a great resource for me to not just think through to do that, but, you know, when you think of, at least when I think of friendship, part of friendship is the ability to just sort of have a sounding board to, to talk, uh, to maybe hear some of the strange things that you say in the presence of another, that, that's a very helpful thing. Uh, but really just to, just to share and to talk about issues that I was thinking through, difficulties, uh, and getting uh, Mark's take on that. And that's been a huge benefit for me. And, and I will say, one of my great joys, and I, I've said this to Mark, so he knows this, but like Mark said, 15 years is a long time. I've seen Mark I've seen Mark grow as... Come on now, that's personal. Oh, well, <laughs> physically and spiritually, I've seen Mark grow. Uh, but I've seen Mark grow as a teacher, as a scholar, as a writer. Mark takes very seriously his, uh, his writing. He often makes fun of his writing, but he, he takes it very seriously and works, uh, works at the craft of writing. But also as a preacher, uh, I, and I've said this to Mark that... I just think it's remarkable. Mark is a preacher, and Mark's always been a good preacher. But uh, I've seen over the years a, a growth that I don't know that I can really explain it or describe it. Uh, but I love listening to Mark Genelette preach in chapel. I, uh, I think he should do it more often. Uh, I don't know if he wants to do it more often, but uh, it's, it really is a special treat to those uh, around him. Just the way that he sees scripture. And I mean, he teaches Old Testament, but Mark, Mark doesn't just teach Old Testament. Uh, Mark teaches New Testament. He knows the history of the church so well. He knows the history of interpretation. He's a Bart scholar. He knows the Reformation uh, intimately. I mean, Mark is most often reading, it seems to me, uh, works from the history of the church uh, and making me buy these works and also have to read them and think through them. And I appreciate that. Gosh, that's really nice, Carl. I want to say one thing, Chris, before you jump in. I, I think this conversation is so fascinating because, and I joked about it at the beginning, but but Carl and I are never going to give a kind of a meta-analysis of our friendship and our talk with one another. Like, this would never happen, what we're doing right now. Uh, it's just, just not, I don't think it's in our DNA. But I think this, for me, it's just sort of fascinating to observe it. But secondly, one of the things, too, that I think I've grown, and I've thought about this even this morning, deep appreciation in observing Carl over these years is the beauty of simple faithfulness. In other words, it's, it's not showy, it's not necessarily flashy, but there's a deep um, and sincere faithfulness to, to Christ and his church. I mean, Carl 
has served local congregations now for more years than he hasn't um, in Birmingham. That happened very quickly right after his ordination. Carl's preaching regularly. He's involved in the life of the church. Carl's not going to blog about that. He's not going to tweet about it. Um, But he's very involved in the pastoral life of local congregations. He's, and he's faithful. And I, and the other thing too, I'd say about Carl and his work and, and, um, and I love this. I mean, you get these random texts from Carl, like you mentioned already about, some sort of small facet of, uh, or narrow facet of exegesis here or there in the Bible. Carl's doing his work all the time. I mean, there, there is a, there's a faithfulness and a stability to his work um, where he's giving himself to the subject matter again and again. We were just, I was just in the class talking with the students about Carl Barth actually, and saying one of the most beautiful things I think about a curious theological mind that still has a sense of wonder about what they're doing is they haven't turned their task into a cottage industry of their own self and their own scholarly identity. Instead, their activity and their service and their scholarship is still in service of the curiosity and wonder of the thing, of the subject matter, of God's being revealed in Jesus. That kind of energy, that kind of long-term faithfulness, I think is something that I, on the, sort of on the sidelines of my friendship with Carl, I see that in him, and, and it really it prods me on uh, to my own work. Well, we're so great that we have forced you to talk about your friendship on the podcast. Um, when I mentioned the yeah. series to students, they all said you have to have Dr. Beckwith and Dr. Janelette on the show because your friendship is so evident to them. And so I wanted to ask, as we think about friendship for the church and for Christians, whether they're professors or in ministry or lay people, why is it important to develop these type of friendships? And what word of exhortation would you give to our listeners today about what it takes to be a good friend and the value of friendship? I think friendship at the the heart of it, I guess for me, when I think of friendship, I mostly think of my wife. And, and I think of the the intimate sharing between a husband and a wife, the giving of the self to the other, the ability to to talk without hesitation, to make yourself vulnerable in every way. And for me, that 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 is friendship, kind of at its at its purest, right? That there's always the other that you can fully and completely rely upon. Now, I'm a Midwesterner. These friendships don't come easily for me. It, it, it takes a lot for me to do that uh, with another. Uh, and in some sense, I'm probably even in my friendships beyond my wife somewhat guarded. And that's that's probably just a personality thing. But I think friendships are important for that very that very purpose. It It is about loving the other in Christ, recognizing the tremendous blessings that God surrounds us with, with the people he puts near us, our neighbor, right? And among those neighbors, you will always develop a relationship, a closer relationship with some where you can confide, you can share, you can question, you can doubt, you can pray, and you can encourage one another. Uh, And I think that those really are at the heart of the church in different ways, in different ways. I mean, I think of you know, one of the most important aspects of the church is that we give ourselves over to pastoral care, uh, to the care of another. And to do that requires, it requires you to be genuine with another. It requires a certain amount of 
humility and vulnerability that you give yourself to the care uh, of the church for your own spiritual benefit. Uh, and I think a lot of the questions you've actually asked in some sense touch on all of that, that there is something uh, that is very rewarding about friendships at a spiritual level, right? That there is the encouragement, especially at a place like Beeson. I mean, this is a community of, of faithful believers seeking to serve the Lord, seeking to prepare our students for service in the church. And the faculty at Beeson, you know, it, I think it's one of the most wonderful things that we do is we care so deeply about that. And we, we strive hard to do that well. And part of the striving hard at doing that well is that we really are all friends in different ways, but we really are uh, friends with one another, encouraging one another uh, to go about this work that we have together. Yeah. I mean, I think we have different capacities for, um, well, on analogy, I speak with the students about what we might call cognitive load, um, especially in language learning, that there's a certain kind of cognitive load that's met subjectively with each individual, that once that load is met, learning stops. There's no more learning that's going to take place now. And I think that's a subjective thing, and that's also related to the way in which people can absorb and carry on multiple friendships. That's going to be different from one person to another. I, I think as I've gotten older, I've, I've, I've recognized and feel um, more settled and free with a recognition that we do have friendships that are just for a season. I used to get kind of troubled by that. You know, there's a, someone in my early 20s that I was very, very close with, and now it's, it, we're not close anymore. And like something seems to have gone amiss with that. And, and sometimes there are just friendships that are for a season. They're the good gift of God in that moment. But that, I think, makes um, friendships that transcend seasonal moments all the more special and 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 gifts that God gives us, we that th that doesn't happen with everyone. You can't force it to happen. Um, it's something that happens, I think, naturally in the providence and the kindness of God, and and relating to others. And when it comes, you know, I think that's one of those good gifts that we we give thanks to God for because um, it's it's an antidote to our to our loneliness. It's a gift in our pilgrim journey to not be alone. You think about you know pilgrim and pilgrim's progress, Christian. He the companions that he needed along the way to help him get to the celestial city. We need it. We need, we need companions. We need friends. We need people that we can be vulnerable with, that we can be honest with and people who really know us. And in knowing us, we recognize that we're not, we're not fearful about them seeing the real us. That's, that's I think part of the challenge we we've become masters, I think, especially in our moment of creating a social self that's platformed in whatever way. Um, it's, it's such a blessing to be able to put your hair down and say, I'm, I'm free here. This is genuine freedom. And, um, and I can be who I am uh, because of, because of what God has given us in Christ. Amen. Those are very wise words. I'm very glad that we have had this opportunity to define the relationship between Dr. Ginolette and Dr. Beckwith. Well, he, Carl and I are not going to be able to look each other in the eye for like a month now. This is going to be very awkward when I see him tomorrow. Kristen, I don't know if, if we should offer a gender analysis of this or not uh, while we're recording the podcast, but a couple of guys having a hard time here figuring out uh, how to relate to one another. <laughs> the rest of us from afar look at their friendship, though, and we thank God for it. A lot of wisdom has emerged from it, even in this podcast conversation. Listeners, Christian ministry can be isolating if we're not careful about it. COVID-19 can be isolating if we're not careful about it. So let's be careful about it. Let's learn from Mark Ginolette, Carl Beckwith, and the other Beeson faculty friends we've been listening to in this series, thanking God for the gift of friendship and going out of our way to cultivate friendships with one another. 
We are glad that you are here uh, listening to us and uh, befriending us, even if only virtually. Please continue to pray for us here at Beeson as we try to serve the Lord faithfully in this difficult season. Uh, we're glad uh, to offer this podcast to you. Thank you very much, Dr. Genelet and Dr. Beckwith for being with us. And goodbye, everyone, for now. listening to the Beeson Podcast. Our theme music is written and performed by Advent Birmingham of the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama. Our engineer is Rob Willis. Our announcer is Mike Pascarello. Our co-hosts are Doug Sweeney and myself, Kristen Padilla. Please subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at beesondivinity.com slash podcast or on iTunes.